What's going on guys, JP back at you once again, bringing you guys Mini Shots Volume 7. Joining me tonight is your favorite Jew and mine, Mr. Jeremy. What's going on, dude? Who else Who else wouldn't it be, you know? It's like, man, we haven't done a Mini Shots in like two years, like before the freaking Patreon was even I, around. I think it is longer than that. <laughs> I don't even think, I think it was before I even left, so it's been... At least, you know, a year and a half or two years mm, yeah. since we've done one. And on the last mini shots, there was 22 Shots Tom promo. So you should do totally do another 22 Shots Tom promo. Hi, I'm 22 Shots Tom, and I'm the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror number one fan. Yeah, 22 Shots Tom. But that is totally not me. We had Tom on the line for a second there. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. It sounded familiar. Uh, tonight, you're going to hear a few things. Uh, we're going to explain to you why we're doing a new 22 shots, mini shots episode, and also where's moods, obviously. And then also, I'm going to tell you guys how the next Final Destination can be successful and why <laughs> Jeremy literally was wrong within like a one week span when he told me there for sure will not be another Final Destination. I didn't say that. Tony Todd said that, and I was just going off what Tony Todd would say because I think he has more... Uh, more response in the situation than I do. Okay, well, you can fill me in on your thought process a little All bit right. later. Uh, we're also going to review Escape Room, which was just a film that just came out and seems to be spawning its own franchise. Uh, yeah. We're going to cover some what we watched, and then we might talk a little bit of Tetsuo, thanks to the ginger uh, Sam. But and Red to Kill. Don't forget about Red, Red to, to kill. kill. Oh, yeah, Red to Kill. Look, I'm already forgetting things here. But A weird-ass fucking Japanese movie. It's true. It is a weird... And, and, you know, and then we'll do more weird-ass Japanese movies. And anytime yeah. Sam picks a show, we will do weird-ass Japanese movies. So the first thing that we got to handle, the big elephant in the room, this is absolutely horrible, but yeah. something is going on with moods that we're not 100% sure on, but it seems serious enough to where he is not going to be able to record tonight or for the foreseeable future, at least for a little while. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what's wrong. We don't know what happened. Um, he, I'm sure he will tell everybody in time, um, but you know, he, he needs to take a little bit of break from the show. And we don't want to move on with the show. He's been on every single episode. Uh, and we're not going to do the show. But we have this little mini shots thing here for a reason. And it was mainly used to put out content when we didn't have a show. So uh, we're going to use that format and switch it up from the show, which it's obviously a mini version of the show. That's the whole point of the name. So... Me and Jeremy, and maybe a guest, maybe not at some point, depending on how long we do this, we'll kind of um, do like little mini versions of the show for content uh, yeah. while he's gone. And we have a Patreon, so we have to keep up with our reviews. Um, so there's there's a lot of things to unpack here. And um, to just start, obviously, we want to wish Moods the safest yeah. journey in whatever is going on with him. As you guys, I'm sure, do as well. Um, we are not, like, we know... It's just that... <laughs> not right to do an episode without moods. Like JP said, he's been on every episode, and I feel like, one, I don't think the show would be 
good quality without moods. We all know how amazing I am as a talker, and I feel like if me and JP have to talk to each other for four hours every week, I think the show would end up probably being a disaster because I am clearly not good at or confident enough as leading a conversation for a long time, and moods and JP are pretty good at that, so they really carry that conversation and, and move it along and things like that and has a lot of things to say about everything and i clearly don't have anything much to say about a lot of things so i don't think the show would be up to standards to put the 22 shots name on it and it's just it's just not right you know it's it's a it's a team effort and sure moods and jp has done a show without me a few times here and there and of course when i left they did shows without me but uh i just think that it's a different kind of circumstance without moods because he's such the backbone of the show and it's just not right to do a an episode that moods isn't there and i just think that this is the right uh path to take in this situation uh you know we've been doing it for five years pretty constantly every week or you know a few times a month and you know he's never had any problems doing the show so i would assume that it's probably a pretty serious thing that's going on with him right now and i just don't think that it's a right thing to do to do an episode without him one because it's not going to be up to standards and two uh you know it's just not right so yeah and we know we know that anybody out there listening right now that the show is not this show this mini shots is not going to be anything near what we normally put out we're well aware of that. It's it's just the fact that Moods is such a large personality and he brings a unmatchable vibe and personality to the show. So, you know, hold your comments saying, man, this, this show sucks without Moods. Like, we know, we know, we're well That's aware. why we're not calling it 22 Shots. <laughs> yeah, right. And that's why we're not doing, you know, our old school format where we do all our segments and things like yeah, that it's, it's more of a mini version of that format and to be honest we, you know everybody's been so kind and generous to us over on the patreon that we just don't want to throw the towel in on uh what we've made over there and and we all support and appreciate everybody that has supported Dude, us it's... on the patreon like <laughs> like it's crazy that we're at 348 dollars a month and you we know, made, based on you guys we made four hundred dollars this month essentially yeah um when you factor in the the paypal episode it, it's absolutely mind-blowing when we yeah. launched that thing i was like man i hope that we don't get a lot of negative feedback from this we didn't not only did we not get negative feedback but we got mostly positive feedback and it's steadily grown we've got so much patreon supporters this past couple months in fact it's been a little while since we've shouted them out but in december we had ethan mitchell uh tyler tadio uh christopher dezuba connor curin uh curran rather and then in january we had uh our good friend lewis or Luis, uh my co-host on a show um mma cast and he has his own podcast as well, Business Affair on YouTube. Um, Chad Cooper, Paul Payne, Michael Volp, and Emily Dura. Yep. Yeah. So, the, so now that the the show is condensed 
we just want to say that uh, until Moods comes back, uh, we aren't going to be doing uh, trilogy shows or franchise shows just once again because uh, it's not fair to do those two parts of the Patreon without Moods because they're uh, you know a larger shows. Now you guys can still support us on those tiers if you want. Uh, maybe we'll give you a you know we'll give you a feature review or something yeah, like that yeah, to but, compensate. And we'll you know. We're still going to do the ones that are in the yeah. bank right now when he returns. Because we know that he's going to come back eventually. At least we pray yeah. that he will. Um, and when he does, we're going to cover the Thing show and the Sonosono show, as well as um, the dead uh, six dead films, you know, the George Romero dead franchise. But for right now, anybody who's currently on those tiers, just know that we're not going to be able to honor um, any future uh shows um until moods comes back uh but we will give you something in compensation in yeah if you guys want like to a feature shows that we would such as a 22 shots episode so you know we would have a little bit more time to do things like commentary tracks and things like that so if you guys want to hear that you can support the patreon as well now uh when it comes to moods picks um so me and jp are still going to do all the what we watch picks um, that we had given to us for this month. And then in February, if Moods still isn't back, if you guys want to give me and JP some other films, uh, that's cool. Or if you just want to hold back and, you know, still support the show, that would be fantastic. But uh, I would think that the more what we watch picks that we have, uh, maybe we wouldn't do a feature review or something like that. We would just do a, uh, mainly just what we watched uh, segments just so that it balance out and everything like that. But the point is here that we're still going to be doing our picks every month for you guys for what we watched and things like that. You know, it's it's important that you guys paid us and you support us and everything like that. You give us your hard-earned money that you guys work for that we still need to give you guys what you ultimately paid for. And I know that, you know, Sam and Derek, who has supported us for a long time and given us quite a bit of money and hasn't gotten what they've paid for yet, but it, it, it will happen. Um, like I said, we're going to be doing uh, one of Sam's three trilogy films today because we've pretty much, you know, watched them already and things like that. So we're going to be talking about them. I don't think there'll be a complete feature review uh, with them uh, because mainly it's going to be hard with just me and JP and not another person's well, perspective because and two, the, they're so similar and it's yeah. like it's just hard Th- to there's a number of factors together. Uh, yeah. one we watched them two weeks ago instead of this week uh, because we were supposed to record two weeks ago uh, two I didn't have much to say about them in general so now that it's only me and him Jeremy normally doesn't have much to say so it'd be like you know <laughs> both people just sitting there quietly yeah. uh, and then three they they're kind of the same movies like you said so yeah that's why we're not going to dig deep into tetsuo but i still wanted to talk about them because we did watch them yeah. um and like he said uh i will take uh mo- like if, if you guys want to send me extra what we watched i'm fine with that uh because we won't be doing as many featured reviews uh, yeah. i think i could handle more what we watched because i usually average about six films a week and even with moods gone, yeah, that would still be under six films a week. So um, I'm cool with it. Uh, but you know, again, guys, like if if this isn't what you want either, if you guys are like honestly, 
don't even worry about doing anything at all. We don't like it. <laughs> and then, we, you know, then we, we won't do anything. You know what I mean? We'll work, we'll figure something out else out. Um, but you know, I, I don't think, I don't mind recording. I record other shows too, obviously. And, um, me and Jeremy have done things before most, most notably the recent Ghoulies episode that we did on the commentary. Um, yes. The Ghoulies commentary for the Patreon. I just I haven't heard many feedback on that. I wonder if it was any good JP. Uh, probably, probably not many people have checked it out because it is yeah. on Patreon only right now. It's Patreon exclusive yep. for a little while, but I also released an episode of the Vestron video horror podcast this past week, which is on the Patreon as well. Um, that took so long to produce, dude. Listen, I started that like two years ago. Mm -hmm. It's insane. And I had it almost done for that entire time. I just got really lazy. And every time I'd go back to it, I'd be like, I don't, it just didn't feel like finishing it. Um, and so I finally sat down, we had a week off and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to finish this damn thing. And, uh, I finished watching the special features on, on the disc and recorded this stuff. And I think it turned out really well. It might be my best one. Um, but yeah, you but guys, the question is, are you going to do another one? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm going to commit to doing them bi-monthly. Um, so I'm going to start in a week where we don't have the show. Cause I know, I know usually we don't do eight shows in two months usually. Yeah. So whatever week we don't have it is when I'll start the production and then I'll finish it up by the end of the second month. But yeah, so that is sort of like the housekeeping notes that we have here. We we greatly appreciate anybody who's going to stay supporting us. And hopefully we can still entertain you. I know that a lot of people's favorite segment is what we watched. And that's my favorite segment to do as well as to listen to on other shows that have sort of um, stolen that, that segment there. Yep. Um, which I'm only kidding because I actually took that segment from another show that I had listened to that's now defunct. Um, <laughs> they didn't call it what we watched, um, but what they, did they call it? I don't know. It was it, actually, you know what? It was um, what we seen this week, or something. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So that show is now defunct. Um, but we still do it here, and I love listening to people go like roundtable with with what they've seen during the week. So, with that said, um, I hope you guys enjoy what we have here, and yeah, let's let's get into it. So, the first thing here that I thought was really the the biggest news story to me of the week, uh, or at least since we've last recorded, is one. Tony Todd came out and said that he don't think that he doesn't think that a new Final Destination film will happen anytime soon. Yeah, because uh, the budget They're too expensive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they they put twenty million dollars in the last one or something like that. Oh, forty million. Forty million dollars. It yeah. did make back a bunch of money though, but it's just yeah. But I, I don't think it risk. made like I don't think it made as much as the other f entries did. Actually, I thought uh, the fourth entry made the most, and I thought yeah. that made the second most. And it was definitely successful. I remember it being successful. But the I get what he's saying. You you put forty million dollars up for a Final Destination film that hasn't came out in ten years, yeah. and it's like what you know? What do you get back? Do you know? Like it especially with all these people hit. making like micro horror films and becoming successful, it's like you look at Glass. That movie only had twenty million dollars after fucking Split made two hundred fifty million dollars. So it's like even them, they're only giving 
M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong double his budget from what he made on Split. So it's like I don't think people are shelling out a lot of money for horror films these days because they know it's a small investment to lead to big returns. So I don't think that Warner Brothers or New Line is going to fork up $40 million for a franchise that's been dead for 10 years. So I was surprised that they said. But the real question is how cheap are they going to make it and are they going to keep with the real practical things that make those movies so good or are they going to fucking do something retarded and make it CG and complete another crap Well, and try to make it for as cheap as they possibly could. Well, to, to, to tell the full, full story here, so after Tony Todd had said that, which like I said, I understand, you know, with Annabelle being huge and only costing like $5 million and the new Halloween only had what, like, Nine million. Nine? Jesus. Jesus. I didn't even know it was that low. But yeah. with with these films, it, it just makes sense not to risk it. Not saying that a Final Destination can't make money. Because look here. The last one made $66 million. Um, so yeah, but how much? It cost $40, 40 million, million. Big. So after marketing, probably didn't make that much money, to be honest with you. But that, I, mean, I mean, it probably made money back on DVDs overseas and stuff. And overseas as well. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Worldwide, it made 87 or, or 78, sorry. So, I mean, it definitely made money, but it's not the cash cow that a $5 million film that makes $78 million gets you, right? Like, that's a yeah. huge difference. So, I understand why they don't want to put a lot of money into a Final Destination film, but at the same time, where they're, it's all about landscape. Like, right now, the, the thing to do is to make cheaper horror films, um, less risk. But every once in a while, you'll see money be poured into horror films again. It's it happens all the time, right? You'll see, well, just like we'll see another influx of 3D eventually. It just depends what's hot at the moment. And yeah, was, but isn't horror hot right now? So you think? Yeah, but they not, would be, but, give a better, a more higher risk in what they're doing. Well, horror is hot, but like you said, low budget horror is hot. You know what I mean? So horror is hot, but those films are making and and there are fil- there are exceptions like there are definitely films that are making are getting higher budgets you know um but like even the insidious films and stuff those those are relatively smaller budgets yeah. um but yeah so not a not a week goes by where you 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 in particular are arguing with me that it it won't happen uh you agree with tony todd and I'm like, no, it'll happen eventually. Maybe not. Yeah, but not like week. now. You didn't expect <laughs> it to happen now. No. Like a week after we had the conversation. Not only did I not expect it, but it's funny because I actually was asking for it. I did a review of Escape Room, and I said that that film felt like a Final Destination to me. Like there were certain beats, and I was like, man, I really want a Final Destination movie now. It's so funny because I literally said that last week in my review. And then they announced this week that the uh, writers uh, of the, I think, Saw 4, 5, 6, and 7. Yeah, it's the, it's the guys who wrote the last three, I think. Yeah, but they also won Project Greenlight and, and made Feast. Uh, yep. And they did – they've did it. They they've done like the Piranha film. They, they worked with the Weinsteins a lot. Yeah. Um, and – uh, Marcus Dunstan and Patrick Melton. Uh, so they're gonna they're hired to reboot Final Destination. Now the, that sucks. <laughs> uh, it, it sucks, but at the same time, 
what is a Final Destination film? There's Final Destination it's 1. It's the same thing. There's Final Destination 1 where there's an airplane crash and then deaths after a bunch of teenagers. Final Destination 2 where there's a car pile up and death is hunting a, a bunch of adults. They are connected to the first film. Final Destination 3 has nothing to do with the first film. Uh, doesn't have any reoccurring... I don't even think Tony Todd's in that one. Uh, and he, he only in the first two? I think he's in the, all of them except for three. Yeah. Uh, and then he... Uh, so, you know, Teenagers, Roller Coaster is the thing. So that's a reboot right there, right? Final Destination 4, same thing. New characters... Did you say he's writing it? What's that? What did you say he's writing it? Uh, Marcus Dunstan and, and Patrick Milton. Okay. Hmm. So, well. and then the fifth one, again, it is is connected to the first two again. But you know, you've had you had two reboots right in there in terms of just standalone stories. So, when people say reboot, it sounds like oh, they're going to remake Final Destination. I don't necessarily think they're going to do that. It's probably just saying like, hey, it's been ten years, we're going to do another one. Uh, I at least hope that there is some level of continuity or. <laughs> You know, uh, at least have bring Tony back Todd Tony back. Todd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Tony Steve Todd has been on back Tony Todd films. Yeah, yeah. It's, people seem to love Tony Todd right now. Um, yeah. But I am super excited. And here's how you make a successful Final Destination, right? The disaster has to be your biggest selling point, right? You look at the ones that are the most successful. It's the Two, first three. one, first two, maybe the third one. The fifth one was a surprising success, but people seem to gravitate towards the roller coaster, the plane, and the car pileup. Uh, the car pileup's the best one. Oh, I agree. I agree. <laughs> but but I think that you the know fucking going through the window is still fucking <laughs> brutal as all hell. I don't know what you could it's do awesome. with the the next one. Maybe set it on a boat or something. <laughs> you know, do do what's prevalent today that wasn't around back then that they could do. That's the question. Like a self, well, yeah, it's so hard to think what they're gonna do. I don't know. Yeah, I School don't know. That, <laughs> dude, no, dude, dude. I sent a a whole like concept synopsis for that to the yeah. the chat, my the, the other chat that I'm in. I was like, look, you do a Final Destination with a school shooting, but you don't know who the killer is, and then afterwards when they stopped the event, they essentially stopped the school shooting, but you didn't cause it was a masked shooter. So yeah. one of the people what is eventually going to be a school shooter essentially. And you have to, you know, story around that. But mm -hmm. I thought that that, that would be, that would be ballsy. Wouldn't you say yeah. that, would be, <laughs> that would be ballsy, man. I don't think that's the right time to do that. <laughs> Maybe 10 years down the line when, they don't happen as often, hopefully, but yeah, I don't I th think it's the I right time to do it. that. I would love it, but I know they would never do that. Especially in like a mainstream film. And then the That's other that. things you need is fun deaths and a low amount. You can have CGI because they all had it, but yeah. you have to have a low amount of CG, fun deaths, and semi-decent yeah, that characters. equals high budget, though. I mean, yeah, it, it's gonna have like the 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 big disaster in itself is gonna require a high budget. You can't do that without a high budget, I don't yeah. think. So um, I think it is gonna have to have a higher budget, but wh who knows? We'll see. And I want the biggest 
thing about it is I'm just excited for another one because I actually love the Final Destination franchise. Minus four, it is a really fun time. They're just fun movies, and I actually never got a chance to see one in the theater. So pass out um, three, four, and five. Really? In the theaters, yeah. Hmm. So I'm actually really excited to see what they what they do there with the next yeah. one. Yeah. I like part three. I mean that's the one that stays in my mind like the most is part three for some reason. Even though you know, it's not as good as the first two, but I've always liked it. Yeah, definitely. So that's uh that's our little thoughts on Final Destination. Uh, reboot if you will um i think i think people are worried about it but i think be prepared that reboot is probably just like another final destination and it is a very sequelized series like you can just call it final destination six don't be that duh final destination bullshit well they've already done that right no (laughs) so you have final destination final destination two final destination three the Final Destination, and then Final Destination 5. Why would you do that? Yeah, it's so annoying. Oh, God. Uh, I hate that. Dude, how about the fact that there's three films called Halloween? Yep. That's annoying. I I don't think that was talked about enough. That is very annoying. But I don't think them calling it Halloween 12 or whatever would have been... I don't think calling Rob Zombie's Halloween Halloween 9 would have been the best idea no, because it was a straight reboot, but this is a sequel. Yeah. So what were they called? Halloween 2? Um, they could have done like the Halloween Returns. But that doesn't – that still doesn't solve the problem that it doesn't have a number at the end. It doesn't – I mean those – at this point, I don't think you need to number those, but uh, – because it's such a mess. Such yeah. a mess. Such a mess. Um. But anyway, so to kind of go away from the Final Destination franchise and talk about another potential franchise starter, yep. what about Escape Room? You saw Look it, at that. Saw it made it. another $9 million this weekend. Which was your initial guess. So it's made a total gross in two weekends of $32,432,931 on a $9 million know. budget. I don't know where – our box office ball results brawl results are but i definitely won sure but it so doesn't matter now so uh, well <laughs> i have one point it matters to me well you have one point until moods comes back so i guess you're leading yeah well we'll probably still post one on the web uh, on the facebook page for glass yeah uh but escape room man that was a surprise hit yeah i i think because of the fact that it was good, I had a feeling that the movie was going to stand, you know, not drop too much. You know, it made, what, $18 million this weekend, uh, last weekend, and made half that this weekend, which it's not a horrible drop, to be honest. You know, it dropped half in one weekend, but for a fact that, the, that we thought the movie wasn't going to make any money, I think that the word of mouth that it wasn't horrible helped it quite a bit, and it made 33 million bucks who would have thought i'm i'm as surprised as you i think that i guessed and who would have thought that it was actually not a bad movie yeah i, I mean i, mean, I who guessed thought? i think originally 11 was what i said bye bye man made and i was like but i'm not going that high i'm gonna go like nine or something like that i don't remember what my guess was but yeah it, it even surpassed that 
like double initial. that. Yeah. Uh, so escape room six strangers find themselves in circumstances beyond their control and must use their wits to survive. So uh, I actually did a full review of this on video as well as I joined Mike Mary. What about me? What's that? I did a review. Did you? You dickhead. I don't. I. I didn't. Oh, you don't do. You don't post it on YouTube though. No. Okay. Post it on the Twenty Two Shots of Moods and Horror Facebook page, bro. <laughs> I, I also did a full review with um, Willis Wheeler, um, Jerry Cortez, um, and Mike Merriman. So you want to talk about it again? Not really, honestly. But briefly, we—I mean, you—you you, you talked about it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mainly want to just say that I get why it was. I don't. I don't think it's great. Let's. Stop I didn't say it was great either. I gave it a 7.5, and I think it's very worthy of that rating for what it is. I gave it a 7. I think that it's decent for what it is. It's a PG-13 yep. horror film. Yep. Uh, the deaths are pretty bad. There's no good deaths in the film. Sure. Yeah. The, the best That's... death is the the defibrillator, which was more of a – it's a murder. <laughs> uh, sure. Which was good. Um, the coolest aspect is the escape rooms themselves. Yeah. Although and I just think that the director and the editor are very good at editing this movie together to create uh an an insane amount of tension between the characters and the audience that I think is really, really well done to be completely honest. I think, you know, especially this is the case in, you know, the clearly the best room in the film, which is the pool house room. I just think that the, dude, the, the pool house room? The, the bar. Oh, okay. The bar. See, I – my favorite room was the first one. See, I just think that the way the editor chose to cut the film where he cut it to, uh, you know, to show the amount of, you know, uh, danger that was happening in the room, I think it was, it was just really well done. And, and, and it, it's masterfully shot, to be honest. It's, it's, it's really awesome the place that the director placed the camera – to show, uh, you know, the floor falling down at the right point, or you know, the 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 hanging onto the phone and swinging on the phone line, and uh, the the hand slipping off the phone line and things like that. I just think that, especially that part of the film was insanely well done. I think the last room with the fucking carbon monoxide was pretty retarded, and uh, I, I I think it was pretty dumb. I wish they would have done something else kind of just ended the film on a dud to be honest with you i think that the entire end of the movie was ridiculous and stupid i mean the entire movie is a little bit convoluted and ridiculous like it's really unbelievable you're like okay well that would never happen you couldn't what this technology doesn't exist like how would you do that like but at the end of the day like you're willing to forgive that because it's like okay it it's giving you like this entertaining concept which i thought was pretty fun um yeah I think that this film could be a, a sequelized thing because you can make a room out of You can do anything in one of those rooms. You know what I mean? There's the, the possibilities are endless, especially since they don't follow the laws of, you know, technology and yeah. what's actually possible. And the characters weren't bad. You know, I, I, I liked all the characters. I didn't think they were overly annoying or I actually thought overly... that that was one of the stronger points is well, the characters were kind of fun. You know, and they were all flushed out with a backstory and they all had a reason why they were there and everything like that. They weren't just 
throwaway characters you know they all had a purpose and and they the writer thought about each of these characters and how their experiences play out uh in you know the room that's associated with their past i know i thought it was interesting you know not too many films like this has uh, uh fleshed out backgrounds for each of their supporting characters like this movie did so i thought that it's pretty strong in that sense yeah i i i, I would agree with that i think that uh one of the weaker aspects of the film is just the plot holes it just seems like there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense in it yeah. uh you have like how would they know that the black character murdered the person you know what i mean I don't know, they just <laughs> well they clearly know because of the jacket they yeah. clear so um that and then also how do um you know how would they know a lot like how would they know the kid was singing a christmas song when he yeah. wrecked his car you know is a little too much there um and also it, it also like what's kind of the point of the the motive of the villains right like is it a are hostile, they watching them? Are they like yeah, streaming like them a online? Three thing. I think they're streaming it online. I don't think it's just like this one guy getting off on what's happening because there's other people so associated with it. From what you see at the end of the movie, yeah, I don't know. But it was all right. Like it's not going to make any top tens. Like if oh. if it makes your number ten spot, I would be utterly shocked because this yeah. year that would say that this year is extremely bad, but. Yeah. I, I'm coming in at a seven on this one. Yeah, like seven and a half for me. All right, it's not too bad. I was utterly surprised. Yeah, but Glass comes out this week. Are you excited to see Glass? Not really, but I'll see it anyway. I'm actually kind of excited. It's doesn't like if Split was a horror film, Glass definitely isn't. Right? It doesn't yeah. look anything like a horror film. But I would say that Split was a horror film. I mean, um, it has. I think with that character, there's the same kind of elements from what I saw in the trailer, but I don't think that the rest of the film is a horror film, but yeah, I really have no interest, but I'll watch it anyway. See, I, I'm actually interested. I'm, I need to watch Unbreakable before I go see it. Yeah, have you ever seen Unbreakable? Have you? Yeah, I got to rewatch it. You've Not seen... in a long time. Okay. Yeah, but I, that's what I'm seeing this week. Uh, so at least something's coming out that I'm kind of interested in. Yeah, I'll go check it out. And then, uh, yeah, so do you want to get into some what we watch stuff? I know that we have a couple uh, to do this week, and then if we do one next week or the week after, yep. uh, we'll have some more. I actually didn't even get to all mine yet. Uh, I think I need one more. But you had yep. more than me. You What would you have, five? I had five. Yeah, I think I had They three. were all done. And two of us were the same, so we could just – do that next week as like our interesting segment we could review intruder since we both had to review that one okay all right i guess i'll say i was gonna do that one but i guess i'll save it yeah save it okay so what do you have then all right i'll talk about dead of night from 1945 this was given to me by uh okay this one to me oh uh rob henkins and this is a British anthology film from 1945. So British horror films around this period, you know, uh, the end of World War II, or you know, the, pretty much the end of World War II. Uh, there wasn't many horror films, or at, pretty much at all, horror films coming out in Britain at this time. 
So this was a very important film in that uh, because Britain pretty much banned horror film from what I remember in school. British pretty much banned horror films uh, from being made during the 1940s during the war. So, uh, you know, when this film came out in 45, not too many other films from the from the you know the speakeasy or you know the talky era have really came out in Britain. So uh, this very important film. Um, to come out of Britain and it is, you know, talked about as one of the best horror films from that era to come out of the country. So, uh, this is a, is an anthology film broken up into five segments. Uh, basically the wraparound story is we followed this, um, architect who, uh, is pretty much, uh, had a dream and, uh, this dream had these five characters uh, in it, and one day when he's driving along, uh, he gets invited to this house by one of his uh, associates to do renovations on it. And as he goes into the house, uh, the five people um, that he saw in his dream were the same people who are also staying at this house. And he he tries to convince to them that he he has seen these people before. And that he knows that something bad is going to happen later on down the line between them and these five characters. And uh, each person, each guest tries to tell the story about a time that they had a, you know, a supernatural kind of thing happen in their life. And that's when the five separate stories break down into, uh, you know, the, to flush out the part of the film. First story is a film about... Uh, a car driver who has this premonition, very similar to Final Destination, that um, he was denied to get on a bus because there was no more seats on the bus, and the bus ends up crashing and um, you know dying. And he thinks that the person who told him that I get on the bus is you know his you know some a representation of the Grim Reaper. You know, very generic. Not you know not the best story. Uh, in the film and same with the second one. Second one is about a girl who is at this Christmas party uh, and uh, she meets this little boy uh, in one of these hidden rooms in this house. And it ends up being the ghost of one of the children who used to live in the house that got murdered by their parents. And nobody believes her that she saw this ghost, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, it, it's better than the first story, but it's, it's not that good. Uh, they actually cut it from the U.S. release when it got uh, filmed. The third story is one of the best, and this one entails that um, this wife of this man buys this mirror, and um, he's, whenever he looks into this mirror, he sees uh, the person who used to own the mirror's life. And what happens is the person who used to own the mirror, he was murdered and he murdered his wife, and this whole thing is now playing in the mirror whenever he looks into it, and it ultimately uh, pretty much possesses him, and he pretty much tries to do the same thing that happened to the person who used to own the mirror to his current wife and things like that. Very interesting story. It's actually quite original and and, and quite provocative. See, I can't even pronounce on here for that time period. Um, provocative? Yeah. <laughs> and then we go from a dark kind of story to probably the most lighthearted stories. Um, there's these two golfers on this golf course. Um, one says that 
they're fighting over a woman and they say, oh, whoever wins the golf match gets to uh, keep the woman and the other one has to go away forever. One of the uh, one of the golfers, of course, ends up cheating and says that he wins and the other golfer ends up killing himself and the, his old ghost comes to haunt him forever, blah, blah, blah. The last story has to the most um, influential and most talk about story when it comes to this film, and that has to do with the ventriloquist who, um, you know, who makes his dummy seem alive. You know, is it really real or is this all just this imagination of this ventriloquist doing this to this dummy? And we follow this guy who uh, who is also a ventriloquist. And he's trying to uncover the fact of is this dummy really alive or is he, like I said, being manipulated by this ventriloquist who clearly has some mental problems. Very interesting, very fresh story for the time, you know. And I, there's one other film that dies by ventriloquism that I remember I reviewed a long, long, long time ago uh, somewhere that came out, uh, I think, in the 20s. But up until this point pretty untalked about subject and it's it's definitely the highlight of the film it's really fucking good there's one thing that you watch uh with this film it's definitely the last story with this frontier quest really feels like a twilight zone kind of a narrative but like i said dead of night very important film you know uh it's on a lot of people's list as you know top hundred uh most influential and important horror films ever made and, uh, you know, I understand what it did. I know Martin Scorsese really loves this movie. Like, I understand what it did, uh, and I understand that it's pretty original for the time. Uh, you know, I can knock it that some of the stories probably aren't the most interesting or fascinating, but you just have to think that of the time period, what this film did for the horror genre and anthology. So I gave it an 8 out of 10. Dang. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of that before because of the um seg the the ventriloquism segment. Because I remember listening to a podcast a few years ago that was all on like the history of ventriloquism in horror or like doll like um you know like doll, doll puppet type stuff in horror. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. Uh, so the one that I'm gonna tackle first here is actually a film that I have seen before. Uh, and who the hell actually gave me this? What um, movie? It is Rob Hankins. Uh, yeah. He gave me Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight from the year 1995. Uh, have you seen this film? No. All right. It's directed by Ernest Dickerson, who did some Tales from the Crypt, uh, as well yep. as a bunch of TV and stuff. Man. Okay. So, so Demon Knight, after Tales from the Crypt wrapped up, they did uh, a couple of movies. Um, three... To be exact, one which was released as a non-Tales from the Crypt thing at first. Uh, there was also two other films that were originally going to be Tales from the Crypt movies, and that's From Dust Till Dawn, as well as The Frighteners, I believe. Which is super interesting. Um, but the first one that they released was their best one. Um, mm-hmm. It is 1995's Demon Knight. And I seen this when I was a kid. I absolutely loved it. I haven't watched it in a while, but let me just tell you right now, I still love it. Uh, Demon Knight follows a guy who is a drifter, 
and he's playing by William Sadler, who was in the first season of Tales from the Crypt. Uh, I think he was in the episode, like, his name was Death or something like that. I, I can't remember. It's been a while. Um, but he is being chased by a character played by Billy Zane, known as The Collector. Uh, William Sadler's character, uh, Frank Breaker, uh, escapes a fiery car crash and flees to sort of this local boarding house, if you will, um, ran by this woman. Uh, there's a plethora of characters there. Um, we have Uncle Willie, played by Dick Miller, the wonderful Dick Miller. Um, we also have Jerline, uh, played by Jada Pinkett Smith, or actually Jada, just Jada Pinkett back then. <laughs> uh, and there's um, tons of people that you've seen in other stuff. Like, the, the movie has a lot of familiar faces in it. Uh, so they are in this sort of, I don't know, it, it's like a hotel almost, but it's, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And this breaker dude comes there to, to hide from the guy chasing him. And essentially, it looks as if he's the bad guy, but it's really that Billy Zane's the bad guy. This all happens in the first like 10, 15 minutes, so it's not a spoiler. But Billy Zane's character is the bad guy. Um, he's a collector looking for a key. Frank Breaker owns this key, and it just so happens to have the blood of Christ in it. And this key was created when God created the, the everything. Um, and if the evil side gets all seven keys, it basically is the end of the world. Uh, so he is the protector of this key because the demons have all six, the other six keys. And it's basically a siege narrative in this house with demons uh, after the key. And Billy Zane is like the leader of the demons and he's like very manipulative and, and crazy. So... This movie is fucking awesome, dude. Like, I've always loved it, and it holds up so much for me. I, first of all, as a siege narrative, it's, like, that. I love that stuff, and it, it's perfect as one of those. Uh, the cast of characters are fun. Um, there's a little bit of humor in there that's fun. Um, Billy Zane is awesome. There, he's, like, he he's in this, like, cowboy costume at first, and then once he, like, gets pissed off and decides to break character... Once the kind of jig is up, he's like, fuck this cowboy shit. Hold on, hold on. Like, and it's just, I, me and my friend always quote that line because it's like, it's so funny. He gets all pissed off. Um, the, the setting is cool. Uh, the demons are cool. Uh, the mythology in the story is really cool. Like the blood of Jesus is in this vial and you could dip. You can like drip a little drop on the floor, and if you do it in between a doorway, it creates a barrier which the demons can't cross. But they only have a limited amount of this stuff, obviously, because you know it's there's it's liquid, um, so it goes away. And uh, it's just it's just a great movie, dude. Like I think the mythology in this film is super strong, and it's way better than you would ever expect for you know a Tales from the Crypt movie, especially after you've seen um, the Ritual, which isn't bad. That one's like a voodoo zombie one, as well as Bordello of Blood, which I think is pretty weak. It's it's like a vampire one, but it's kind of boring. Um, but yeah, if you've never seen this movie, dude, somebody give this movie for him for Patreon, like. It is, it's awesome. Uh, I've always liked the movie, and I'm coming in high on this baby. I'm coming in at a 9 out of 10. Damn, you don't give 9s very often. Yeah, no, I've always loved this movie. And in fact, when I was telling Moods that it didn't make my top 50 favorite horror films, but 
it's because I hadn't seen it in so long. Had I seen this a couple of weeks before we did that list, it definitely would have made my top 50. Yeah. I forgot how much I liked it. Yeah. It's awesome. I remember Ghost Ship. I wish I put that on my list. I Dude, forgot about that movie. I, I thought, listen, I, I was scrolling through the channels on that, or scrolling through Netflix the other day, and Ghost Ship came up, and I was like, did I dream that he said that, or did he actually say that? Because I remember waking up and seeing it, but I didn't remember. Very nostalgic movie. No, that movie me. sucks, dude. That movie Maybe I just because so I haven't watched it in a long time. Yes, that because. That's just to my mind. Um, that... When you were off the show, remember we did a top 10 in 2002. That movie was one of the ones I watched. Yeah. And uh, I was like, wow, that movie sucks. Have you seen it before? Uh, I had seen it when I was a kid when it came did out. Did you like it when you were a kid? I don't remember. I don't think yeah. I did. Yeah, I don't think I loved it, but I do like other movies from that era, like House on Haunted Hill and stuff. Really? Didn't we review that on the show? No. I've never what was that remake that we reviewed? Oh, maybe. Oh, the Toolbox Murders. Oh, yeah. Return on Haas. Okay, anyway, next up, my last one for this week will be Possession from the year 1981 from Mr. Paca. Now, Moods reviewed this a few weeks ago. And I've never seen it, so Dave gave this movie to me. This movie's very theatrical, you know. It's it's written like a play. It's acted like a play. Uh, everything like that. If you put this on a stage and you kept the same script and everything, you would have the same kind of results. Um, very interesting. Reminded me of The Killing of a Sacred Deer in that sense that it has very weird quirky dialogue oh insanely insanely over the top acting and um you know and just weird interactions between the characters uh i wouldn't be surprised if uh the guy who made sacred deer was influenced nice fart was influenced by this movie so we follow i'm gonna try my best to make the most sense out of this narrative because I've never seen this movie before, and it's one of those films that you're going to have to check out multiple times to fully grasp and understand the themes and points that Swalowski was trying to get across. So we follow Sam Neill's character, Mark. He's a spy. He comes home from a job, and his wife uh, wants to leave his ass. They have a kid named Bob. What a weird name for a kid. I can never think about calling a kid Bob. It just sounds like such an adult name. But they have a kid, Bob, and Mark is, you know, obsessed of uh, trying to keep custody of Bob because uh, Anna, uh, played by Isabel Adjani, is – this is something not right with her. She's acting very strange. Um, you know, she uses the excuse that she's having an affair with this guy named uh, Hendrick. And, uh, you know, she's using that excuse as why she's acting the way that she is. There's a scene with between Mark and Hendrick towards the beginning of the film. Very fucking weird and strange. And it's 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 a very I can't describe it when I was watching it. You know, I was going these guys. uh, It's that's the one point that I say, okay, this this film really does feel like a like a play. Uh, You know, they're they're. The way that they talk to each other and, and the, the the space that these two characters go in to with each other, it's very weird and, and, it, and it sets the tone for the rest of the film. 
So as the film goes on, pretty much learn that Anna's having sex with this giant spaghetti monster and um, you know, that's the reason. It's pretty much possessing her to, you know, do these things to these people who are trying to destroy it. And it ultimately something happens towards the end of the film where it ultimately blah blah blah, I don't want to give it away. But very strange movie. It's definitely um, uh, themes of, you know, uh, family crisis and and sexual frustration. My favorite thing between the uh, between Anna and Mark. You know, there's a a, a famous abortion miscarriage scene uh, towards the end of the film that a lot of people talk about. And um, you know, there's clearly some themes going on there that I haven't fully and fully graphs on and i think that's why i come with the rating that i have because i do think it's a deep and complex film that has a lot to say about a whole bunch of different things but <clears throat> i didn't fully uh grasp what was completely going on with this giant flying spaghetti monster thing and uh where it came from and things like that I don't ever think they explain where it fully came from. I, I, I would assume it's a representation of what Anna wishes Mark was during their relationship and things like that. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's a film that I would probably revisit down the line. It's fucking long. It's like two hours and ten minutes long. Could be cut in some places, but it, it, it's, it's a like I said, very complex, deep film. So... I give it an eight out of ten for now. You know, I, I feel like if I revisit it, I, my rating could change a little bit. But uh, strange movie for sure. Very French. <laughs> uh, you know what? I I had seen it a couple of years ago. It was our headline, or it was uh, not our headliner, but one of our uh, host picks during uh, la- not this year's, but la- the year before that's Halloween Marathon, twenty seventeen yeah. Halloween Marathon. And I remember loving it. It was actually our pick of the the night you know won it won the year but um it was super interesting i just i I can't remember a damn thing about it other than that spaghetti monster you're talking about yeah (laughs) but what did you it feels very hell and eight it feels very uh uh clive barker yeah yeah um i think i gave it a nine maybe 8.5 i don't remember but yeah that's one that I wanted to revisit, but at the same time, it's long. It's yeah, not it really long. the time. Maybe in a couple of years. All right. Um, have to be in that kind of mood to watch it. Like, yeah. I understand that. Yeah. So I only have two more Patreon picks, and one of them I didn't watch, and one of them we're doing next week. So I'm just going to grab something that I watched this week. Um, and it is not The Scarecrow's Husband or whatever the fuck that movie was. <laughs> Why'd you watch that? I saw that at Family Video and I picked it up and I went, man, this movie looks like shit, even if it does have a scarecrow. You know what? I I started listening to this show I used to listen to years ago called um, Horror Movie Podcast. And uh, it's probably one of the bigger shows out there. Um, But I wanted to hear their top 10 show because I always listen to things. And they had mentioned something about doing uh, throughout the year, they're going to watch like one of the hosts is challenging himself to watch every one, like one scarecrow film a week for mm-hmm. like all time uh, for the whole, like, you know, year and mm-hmm. try to get all of them in. And it's like, where do you find a list of that? Like I th- they use, they got a listener to help them, but they're, like they're how are, many, how many are there? There has to be like 50. 
like Dark Harvest. That's three right there. I'll be talking about Dark Harvest too next yeah, week. And, oh and man, what a piece! An- that's another what a piece reason. of flying donkey shit that movie is. And now don't get me started. This isn't the shot on video of Dark <laughs> Harvest two. This is Lionsgate's Dark Harvest two, which has nothing to do with Heart Dark Harvest one or three. And Dark Harvest three has nothing to do with Dark Harvest one or two. So it's one of those franchises where Lionsgate's like, oh, let's just slap them title on this movie and call it a fucking franchise but we'll get into that next week dude you just straight up sounded like joe bob oh man that was an epic rant oh fuck it. <laughs> back in the early 2000s pulling that shit man oh dude that's great it's so funny because you got dark harvest too i think it was a mikey fish exclusive yep. right okay and um you're like dark harvest too like i can't even find it or something and i was like i actually own that <laughs> Like I have it right here in front of me too. Um, This DVD I got, and I know this because of the thing on the front. I got this at uh, my video store when they shut down, and I don't know why. That's probably where most copies were sold to. Yeah, it was during that era. Yep. Yep. So um, I ripped it for you so that you could see it. Yep. Unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I I just kind of skipped through it, and I was like, oh yeah. I think I might I might have actually watched it before because that's why I hope Mikey Fisher doesn't sign up for the thirty dollars for DVD pack because I would send him nothing but garbage. I'd just go to Family Video <laughs> and buy. A, I'd buy Asylum films. He would love it. I know. Um. So anyway, uh, I I I have some some more picks next week. Oh, but yeah, the the Dark Harvest thing. So when I was scrolling through that, it made me excited. I wanted to watch like a Scarecrow movie, not that one. And it just so happened that I seen a Scarecrow film at Walmart and all the Scarecrow incidents were happening during that time. So I was like, you know what? F it. I'm going to spend $10 on this. And I bought it. I would have looked at the back and looked at the bottom seat. Also, Sean C. Phillips. And I would have found this. I didn't even know he was in it, dude. I didn't even know he was in it. And then he pops up. And you know, it's really funny too because it's like clearly an impromptu scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, this – dude is like looking for information about like the legend of the scarecrow and he goes online so you mean he did it in his house in his room yes he just recorded himself like like (laughs) like a fake show on youtube like the the buster myth busters or something you know or like the legend busters and uh he's like and he he like messes up a few times so you could tell that it wasn't even like to where he did it multiple takes yeah like it was like he didn't even have like a script like he just, you know, impromptu went through it and uh, man, cockstar. I wonder if that motherfucker's in sack. That's the one question I would ask him if I had the opportunity. I doubt it, but that's just funny. Yeah, but that movie actually wasn't all that bad until the end, in which it was like really dumb. Yeah. Um, but the DVD itself, like, I don't know what they shot on, but it's super grainy. Like, it looks like the screen's freaking moving. Like, it's all. Like, <laughs> like squigglies in the in the, the dvd or the cover no like in the in the oh, movie yeah. like when you're watching it like the background it's like you, you ever get a blu-ray that's like super grainy and it looks like the pi- pixels are like moving yeah. it's like that but bad Not a DVD. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um that was weird but anyway the film that i'm gonna talk about by the way that movie like three out of ten so uh the movie that i'm talking about real quick isn't even a horror film per se but uh i'm a pretty big fan of this movie it's it's more of like a thriller but it does have like horror elements you can talk about the departed no (laughs) i saw you watch that too i did watch the departed (laughs) departed's great though 
Uh, this is 2004's The Butterfly Effect. Man, I wanted to do those three films. Have I you ever I'm... seen it? I saw it in the theaters back in the day, and I think I was so young that I didn't fully understand and, and grasp the main themes of the film and what they were trying to say. And I haven't re- and I haven't seen it since. So I, I, it's one I've been wanting to revisit. And the fact they made two sequels out of that up oh, Saints one, and the fact yeah. that they made two sequels out of that, it's pretty amusing. Yeah, um, I've never seen the sequels, but this one is one of those films that I, I seen it when it came out on DVD, and. I didn't expect much out of it because at the time, like Ashton Kutcher wasn't a serious actor, right? He was like on that 70s show and stuff like that. And I, I thought it was like going to be, I didn't know what the hell it was about. I thought it was going to be a comedy or something. So I start watching it and it like blew me away as a kid. And I'd seen it maybe, this is probably like my sixth or seventh time seeing it, but it's been a pretty long time since I've seen it. And the first thing that was a little bit jarring to me was I did find the kid acting to have not held up. It was a little bit. I think that's what weak. I remember most about that film, and the guy in the wheelchair. So there's somebody in a wheelchair in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I so remember the that. concept of this movie really—it's a time travel movie. Yeah. So um, there's this kid named Evan who has blackouts, and these blackouts seem to occur uh, at very distinct points in his life where uh, there's something major about to happen, like um, he is taken downstairs to uh, his friend's basement with his friend's dad and he has a blackout right when that's happening he wakes up without his clothes on so pedophile um, and he has one when um, his dog's about to get murdered and so you you get the, the this traumatic story of things that are happening to him in his youth he has blackouts at each point of these and then um, he, his single mother takes him away and he moves to another town and it flashes forward to when he's an adult played by Ashton Kutcher. Um, it has that dude from the Boy Meets World, the Frankie Stacchino from Is that the guy in Cabin Fever is that another character? No, that's another character. This is this. You ever see American History X? No. What? I know. <laughs> Somebody needs a Patreon, Jeremy, American History X. Uh, okay, well, either way, he was like Van Vader's son in Boy Meets World. Yeah. Um, but he's in it. I was always like that guy. Um, but so Evan, as an adult, played by Ashton Kutcher, um, doesn't really remember anything from his past. Something stirs up his past, and he ke- he's kept journals ever since he was a kid because the blackouts, the doctors recommended that he maybe take keep some journals to sort of uh, help him with his memory because these blackouts happen. He doesn't remember anything. So he essentially um, figures out after running into uh, one of the people from his past and then, inc- you know, accidentally causing them to commit suicide, um, played by Amy Smart, that he started reading his old journals and basically he they start shaking and he goes back in time and he could change stuff that happens hence the butterfly effect butterfly could flap its wings and cause a typhoon millions of miles away or whatever uh thousands of miles away but uh that's the concept here he can go back in time and change things uh through his journals but each time that he goes back in time he messes someone else's life up so he'll fix this person's life but mess this person's life up so he's trying to find the perfect balance 
of what to change, what not to change. And each time it seems to be getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And it's a very interesting concept, awesome time travel-esque movie. Um, and it, it's it's kind of dark at times, too. It's it's more of the thriller side, but let's just say we were doing a 2004. I would probably not eliminate this film from, from contention for me because it's always seemed kind of dark to me. I don't know. Maybe I would. I don't know. Um, but it's a very solid movie. Like I said, the only problem with it is really the, the acting of the children, um, which I didn't remember it being so spotty. It is, it is a little weak now that I, I'm looking at it, uh, again. Um, the other issue with the film that I have is the ending is not the good one on the <laughs> DVD. There's actually an alternate ending, which is much stronger. It's a much mm-hmm. stronger ending. The theatrical ending is really, it's like still decent, but it's the, the other one is way stronger. And they, it's funny because they set up the other ending in the movie, but it doesn't pay off. You net mm-hmm. like it, it just seems like dialogue. It's kind of interesting if, if you've ever seen the other ending to know that because they set it up, they they foreshadow it, but then a different ending happens in the theatrical. Um, but yeah, so uh, I give that one a nine as well. Damn, it didn't seem like you're gonna come in that high based off of it's just, but that acting is just it's only a small part of the movie, you know, it's mainly Ashton Kutcher's movie, yeah. but yeah, it is that and that hey, I'm I honestly probably might have gave this a ten before that. Hmm. You know, because 'cause I've always thought that just very highly of this movie. I love time. I wonder if the sequels movies. are any good. I don't know. I, I would like to maybe do those one day. That'd be fun. Yeah. Alright, so Alright, getting into our duo featured review of Red to Kill. Who gave us this one? That would be Mr. Lechem. Okay, Mr. Lechem. This film is from the year 1994, and it is Yuk Sat. (laughs) In uh, Cantonese? I don't know what... what, uh... Chinese, you dumbass. Okay. Well, it says spoken language Cantonese. Well, isn't Hong Kong and China? You goddamn Mongolian, you knocked down my shitty wall. <laughs> Different country, I know. Yeah, it is actually from Hong Kong, the country yep. of Hong Kong. Which, what, what, wait, that wouldn't be in China, would it? I thought Hong Kong was in China. But isn't China its own country? We're dumb. <laughs> we are dumb, man. That's. I just thought I thought Hong Kong was in China. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, but essentially, you want to give a synopsis on this? Yeah, thing? this is part of the 19 category three Hong Kong film. So, from what I understand, Hong Kong's rating system is broken down into one, two, two A, two B, and three. Uh, one is suitable for all ages. Two is suitable for general viewing, but parents are advised to watch with children younger than 12 years old. Two A is suitable for people age 12 and older over and not to be supplies to someone below that age. Two B is 
suitable for people aged 15 and over and not to be supplied to someone below that age. And three is suitable for people aged 18 and over and not to be supplied to someone below that age. So, so I'd assume like this would be NC-17. NC-17. Yeah. yeah, which is funny because their, rated, their PG-13 is at 12 years old. Yeah, and ours is at thirteen, so they're a year under us. And their R is fifteen. Yeah, it, which is two years two years younger under than us. Ours. But then their their eight their their NC seventeen essentially is eighteen. Well, we all know this would be rated G in Quebec, like everything else. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this film is uh, a Hong Kong film from nineteen ninety three. This is kind of a I don't know how many people would know, but have you heard of this one before? No, I just want to know what fucking category three is. I'm going to do, but no, I've never heard of this before. Yeah. So, uh, it essentially follows a psychopathic rapist who attacks women that wear red, runs a home for children with learning difficulties and rapes a girl there. Who's, there we go. He sees uh, wearing a red dress leading to the revenge plot by the girl's social worker. <laughs> yeah. So basically it just says, uh, the following is a non-exhaustive list of Category 3 films produced in Hong Kong. According to the Hong Kong Motion Picture Rating System, introduced in 1988, the restrictions applicable to Category 3 film stats, what I just said. So I think that's just what it means. Um, you'll never be able to make this movie today. No fucking way. <laughs> in unless Hong Kong like, or the U.S.? Anywhere. <laughs> unless you just like make it like uh, – not too many films uh, dive in – the idea of having main characters be mentally disabled. I think the only other film that I could think of that has characters who are mentally disabled is The Ringer, and that's a fucking comedy. What about that What's Eating Gilbert made. Grape? Yeah, yeah, that too. That but, that portrays it, like, great. Yeah. Leo there's DiCap. Not, there's not too many films that dive with this idea of having well i tell you this right now characters there's especially there. not one that has one where they're getting raped by a rapist in a home that's uh open to a house mentally challenged people who are orphaned uh and having a mom throw a autistic kid off the top of a building and kill it <laughs> dude listen i Okay, so I I wasn't a fan of this movie to be completely honest. There there was there was an issue with I didn't understand this. I had no idea that it was about mentally handicapped people until the second half of the movie. Oh, I don't yeah. know how that slipped by me. I didn't understand. I was I just thought the subtitles were really weird. I was like I was like what? I was like why are they saying this? Like that's not, that doesn't yeah. make any sense, but it's because they're mentally handicapped. They're saying yeah. weird shit because they're mentally handicapped. Yeah, you didn't understand that when, like, the guy was, like, cornering that girl and, say, playing with my balls. Like, you didn't know that he was handicapped. No! I <laughs> did I was like, what is going on in this movie? And <laughs> I didn't notice. I literally, because how we watched it, I don't know. Is this on disc? Yeah. Uh, I don't think it has, like, an English, uh, an English, like, an official English subtitle disc. It needs to. I, because people would be interested in, in seeing this, I think. Yeah. Uh, but how we watched it was online, and it was split in two parts. Yeah. And the first part, I didn't realize what was going on until the second part, which opens with 
you know, like <laughs> the rape. Yeah. And then like in the courtroom scene, when they start yeah. talking about like mentally, I'm like, hold, I was like, hold the phone here. Wait a minute. I was like, the next How whole movie makes more sense. How you not all these quirky, weird characters? Like I did. I thought the subtitles were messed up. I was like, what is, what is, remember I messaged you like weeks yeah. ago and I was like, what is up with this freaking movie? These subtitles are so weird, but it's because they're mentally handicapped. Dude, I once that kind of blew my mind. I was like, "Wait a minute, they're raping like literally mentally challenged yeah. people in this movie." This well, is just fucked this one up. Guy. Yeah, yeah. This guy is it's basically raping. a revenge film. You know? Yeah. So this girl's social worker finds her raped, and uh, w- one of the probably worst worst scenes in this movie. Fucking is, taking a razor blade to her fucking bush and just fucking destroying it. <laughs> What is that? Not a, uh, I thought that scene was pretty weird. Acting? I was like, "What?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> what? That's a pretty accurate was just, uh, description of what she was doing. Yeah. She said she, she had to get all the dirtiness off of her, yeah, so she's taking a rip. Which was, blade, I guess the blood? Off. I don't know. The, the no, rape. I thought it was just. I just thought it was the guy's jism, like just the dirtiness of the rape or something. I yeah, don't know. I but how would a mentally challenged person know that? Well, I don't know, but I mean, exactly. I. I don't know if mentally challenged people are capable of like defending themselves against rape or even reporting that they've been raped. It's kind of a fucked up situation, but I thought the most ridiculous thing about this movie was the courtroom scene in which the guy was like, you seduced him. Didn't you, (laughs) you did this. You are a slut. (laughs) And I'm like, Jesus, this is a whole new concept of victim blaming here, guy. And, because, and they let him go. Yeah, like it. Like this would not be how. Like, I don't know yeah. if it's cultural, but I know that this would not. They would never be able to do this today with, with the way that that guy was coming at the girl who, as an audience, we know she was raped. Especially today, but like, with what's going on. What was that movie we seen? Um, in eighty or seventy six, the lipstick. Lipstick, yeah, yeah, because that my girl number got, three film. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It made my list too. That girl got off. Uh, that guy got off on rape yeah. too, but this was to another extreme where it was like. He was like flipping out on that girl. He's yeah. like, you, you seduced him. You made love with him. You wanted this. You wanted it. <laughs> and I'm like, Dude. don't you know who she is? <laughs> it was so messed up. And then yeah. of course, like, I don't know. I thought it was actually pretty good. Um, yeah. It, it's. I just thought like weird. The, 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 the music was wildly inappropriate for how not often only that, played. dude. There is definite beats of comedy in this. Like, unless yeah. I'm missing something culture, culturally. Yeah. Um, the scene where he's about to rape the second woman and the the, the the handicapped girl starts hitting him in the head with, like, a case. And it's like, thump, yeah. thump, thump. And I'm like, is this th- – this is supposed to be funny. Like, what is yeah. going on here? <laughs> I just laughed because it was fucking ridiculous. Then they have, like, that uh, – the music choice. It just irked me to the tenth degree. I don't know. It, it just seems like there was always fucking music playing the entire movie. Always that fucking classical music, and it just fucking got on my nerves by the end of the movie. But the fact that he turned into a a Chinese Kurt Angle at the end just oh, just just absolutely killed me. Yeah, it, fucking it's... shaves his head and he puts on that freaking spandex suit and or whatever the thing that wrestlers wear and he the, Chinese the Chinese Kurt Angle or something. Yep. Already yeah. to go on to rape some more people. The onesie. Um, dude. Okay. 
here's the thing. This movie is, is it just me or is it in like stri- extremely poor taste? This, I mean, like, didn't it seem like it undermined the issues of like mental handicap, like by inserting comedy into it? I mean, you have, I mean, no offense to mental handicapped people. Most of the time they're, they say funny stuff. So I would assume that it's true, dude. If you get a group of mentally handicapped people together, they're funny. It's not nothing against them. It's no different than Louis C.K. calling people a fag because they're being a fag and not because they're actually gay. It's the same thing with mentally challenged people. They're just, um, it's 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 they're just they they they're so happy and they 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 appreciate life so much that I so think like that the opposite of you. Pretty much, I just think that they just. There's no problems in the world to them, you know. Basically, you know, everything is is peachy dory, and and yeah. we don't we don't uh, we don't get that mindset. Yeah, but so I'm, I'm more that... talking about like the comedy aspect of like the. I don't know, like for one, so. ah, dude, I don't know. That's why it's I think just... the ringer is like a perfect uh, uh, idea of that. What I'm trying to talk about. I think that this like, movie is very hard to take in because of the cultural differences. I don't know. Yeah if it's being funny or like facetious or like what's going on here because of the cultural differences. But I will say that the movie is interesting because it's, it's a, it's definitely a hidden film. Like I've never heard anybody talk about this film. And in fact, um, I don't think it has a release here. Um, it came out in the nineties, which there, there were a lot of weird, like foreign films to come out. And I, I remember when we do, were doing the 96 show, I couldn't find a lot of things that, that it, apparently had come out in other countries um and this th- this would be kind of interesting on a, on a year where we covered 94 uh to see if this film would get brought up but yeah i don't know man it was it was a bizarre watch yeah for it's, me. It, the third act is like it's it's filmed in this blue tent and like yeah. there's this one scene with the social worker getting all spoocy dory up and you think it's gonna go one way it really doesn't go that way it doesn't like turn into like a full blown revenge film, but the end is is it, it's 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 pieced together very strange, very similar to Lipstick. To be completely honest, it's it's pieced together a very similar way as that film. It's just not as extreme as this movie. Not saying that rape isn't extreme. It's just not as as over the top as it is in this movie. It's a weird movie. I don't know. It's not my cup of tea. To be completely honest with you, I didn't. Okay, so what what would you rate it then? I give it a six. Yeah, uh, I give it a seven. Um, I would like a company to release this, like maybe cult epics or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Seems like something they would tackle, or like unearthed or something. But yeah, that that was an experience. I'll tell you that. If there was one thing that I took away from it, it was it was a experience watch. Uh, so. With that said, I guess we'll move into our final triple threat like featured reviews. We're not going to go too deep into them, uh, but that is the Tetsuo trilogy. Um, Tetsuo one, which came out in what year? Uh, Ninety three. Ninety. No, I thought it was eighties. Eighty nine. Eighty nine. And then Tetsuo two Body Hammer, which came out in nineteen ninety two. And then Tetsuo 3, Bullet Man? Yep, came out in 09. <laughs> so quite a lengthy time away from those films. Uh, okay, so Sam picked these, I assume because... The first one's highly influential. 
extremely important uh, film in the low-budget uh, cinema that was coming out of Japan at the time. Uh, you know, it was all produced, edited, written, acted, everything by the director, you know, soundtrack, everything like that, do-it-yourself kind of filmmaking. Uh, very influential, very important film to a lot of filmmakers in that sense, low-budget filmmakers in that sense. So I understand why he picked it. Uh, you know, they're all the same fucking movie. So this, the, they were all directed by Shinya Tsukamoto. Yep. yep, played the metal fetish in the first film. And they... Okay, so like the first one, in terms mm-hmm. of plot... Yep. What would you say? Should so we, we follow this man who is cutting his leg open and he's putting this metal pole into it. He freaks out and he is ultimately hit and driven over by this businessman and his girlfriend. And they ultimately try to cover up his murder. And this guy who was putting this metal pole in his leg, put a curse on the businessman and he turns into the iron man, which is basically this, um, this huge metal man made of metal and, uh, you know, it's basically just broken up into a bunch of different stories between this businessman and his transformation. And as the film goes on, we're introduced to this character called the Metal uh, Fetish is 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 is, and um, they, they're like the villain of this world, of this underworld where these people are basically turned into metal, and they pretty much battle at the end of the film in an epic way and um that's about it so um this film to me and i messed with sam a lot i call it tet trashio i think it's <laughs> I was, trash i was messing with him no i actually don't i, I was just setting him up um <laughs> i mean the sequel is basically just the first film with the bigger I budget don't, listen i don't like the sequels but i do like this first one i think I, the se- i weird. think the second film is very american like Totally influenced by American action films. I mean, the 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 blue cue. I mean, it's clearly. I mean, later on down the line, we see this with films like Dark City, which I reviewed on the show in The Matrix. But it has that very American action RoboCop meets Alien kind of feel to it. But it's basically still just the fucking first movie on a bigger budget and color. I just think that the, this is the. I feel like the other two are nothing like this one. Really? Really? Yeah. When you really like, think about it, it's the same story. It's a guy who gets placed on a curse, and the metal fetish community tries to hunt him down and kills him. And at the end, he ultimately turns the whole city into metal. I don't know. Maybe That's not. about it. Th- this one, I didn't really know what was going on other than – to me, the way I took it, and I, I, I guess I was wrong – is I thought this was like a biological virus, like a metal no. virus or something. So – um, I didn't know that it was a curse. Uh, yeah. So that's interesting because I, as I was watching it, I thought that it, this was some kind of viral infection. Like take a like virus like um, 28 Days Later, but the effects of it aren't zombie. It's so like, you know the people who were bald thing. in the second film? They, yeah. were bas- they were basically that character that they – the businessman who turns into the Iron Man ultimately kills is – basically part of the bald the bald person in this film and they're part of the 
society that is run by the metal fetish-ish person that we see later on in the film. So they basically put a curse on the businessman. Well, he basically sets, puts revenge. You know, he's getting his revenge on this guy see, for killing him. In the in the second one, they quite literally use like a, a like yeah. a needle, like a syringe or something, yeah. to inject this metal thing. I don't know. Maybe so, it was I, just implied and they didn't have a budget or something to show all to that put shit. Put a curse. <laughs> yeah, just show that shit. They didn't have a budget to put a curse. Um, but the the first one, the, the, what I like about it is obviously I think the black and white is key for yeah. its success. It's nightmare fuel. You know, it just looks well, very I think the editing helps that. You know? the, oh, yeah, the editing, the fast stop pace motion. Editing, super fast-paced editing with that kind of music. It just, yeah, between everything. Bar- barely just... any dialogue. We were talking that uh, we think it could actually would have worked. It should have just been a silent, silent film. film. Yeah, it should have just been a silent film at that point. Yeah. Um, it's actually unnerving the first one i i I feel like it actually is kind of unsettling in terms of like what you're seeing on screen and not like me not really knowing what was going on 100 percent story-wise just seeing all these you know nightmare images flashed in front of me very fastly paced and these wires protruding and i actually thought the effects were pretty good in the first one um they good in the second one they're not good in the third one but I think the they, first they, I think they look more like foam as the films go on, but the first one, sure, because I think with this one it's just like they had to use what they had, and yeah. sure, that's probably good. Yeah, and the scene where the dude sticks the rod in his leg and like the yeah. maggots and stuff, I was like, oh, like <laughs> it actually is effective. The only thing I don't like about the first one is it gets way too like kaijuish at the end. I hate that shit. It's oh yeah, that, that's like that's just like they had the battle. That's like the big battle. It reminded the, me of between that the Iron Man and the Metal Machine. That I think Mikey gave me or somebody. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that with in terms of like I, I think that this has become like a subgenre almost. Well, when Japanese they like combine films. and they turn into like the, that two headed monster thingy and they start turning the whole world into metal, it's like what the fuck's going on? <laughs> I just really hate like the bat. Like I'm not a fan of like battle things, like just them fighting like power rangers though yeah i know but that like that's all that power rangers i know is. but it's like kid it's like kid shit you know what i mean sure. i don't want to see that in my adult man movies sure. <laughs> you know what i mean um it, it's just a little too silly to take in like in a serious situation like in the power rangers it's like it's for kids so it, it <laughs> you know it, it it's different but uh, yeah, the first one, man, I thought the first one was, was really, really solid, actually. And I can see where the influence comes. You know, they said, like, uh, was this influenced by David Lynch films and stuff? Sure. And then see that. Uh, the the Nightmare Logic sort of stuff. And the 16 millimeter looks like it looks great in, in 16 millimeter, like the way that it's framed and, and yeah. stuff like that. I think that it fits it really well. It seems like this would be like, you know, a, a great midnight movie. I'm sure that it ran a lot. Um, in different theaters and stuff like that. Really bizarre, weird stuff. i never seen any of I mean, I saw the first one in film school, uh, uh, of course, because of the editing. And, uh, you know, one of my professors showed it to show how to pace a film with interesting editing. And the film, as I said, clearly has very interesting editing, fast-paced editing. and and But the fact that you could do it yourself, you know, this guy pretty much did everything. So, yeah. 
yeah. influential in that. I mean, throughout the entire series, you know, he pretty much did a, did everything himself. So, yeah. and, and this film's very short, only sixty some minutes. Yeah, it's sixty nine minutes. Which it, that's minutes. all it needed. Honestly, dude, this film probably could have worked as a short film. Best, honestly, if so, you if you cut it down to like fifteen minutes. It would be pretty. I mean, sure. I was it, it might curious not if he had this sequel idea in his mind, uh, because there's a lot of ideas going on here with these characters, and I think that when he finally got a big enough budget to make the sequel, that he was able to flush some of these ideas out. But yeah, the question is, does it work better not having them as fleshed out as the first film. I just thought the second Didn't one was be. weak because it just got too like involved with the, the mo- like whatever the Cusa Nazi mm-hmm. things or whatever the people, the villains. And I'm like, why what's, what's the point? Well, they're just part of like the metal fetish group. Yeah. But why did they infect that guy? And then he becomes the, the, I think just because he had, he has, he showed, I don't, I never understood that either. Like, why do they infect the guy in the third film? Like, does he have some? No, in, in the second film. I know. I'm saying in the third film either. I really don't understand why they. I, I make sense with the doctor and everything like that, but it's like it doesn't fully. So was he part of this too, or, or or something like? How do they all connect? Especially the second film and the third film. Like, are they in the same universe? Dude, I, no I don't even yeah. know what went on in the third film. I can barely remember it. It was so boring. Well, I know like the dad. <laughs> it just seemed like a guy was walking. Well, the dad was like part of this scientist and they wanted to make uh, robots or androids. And the dad did that. They cloned this kid who ultimately ended up being our main character. And he had this hidden rage inside of him that he hadn't unleashed yet until his kill, until his kid got murdered pretty much. And then at that point, uh, the rage finally boiled over and he ultimately turned into the metal man the iron man i think that's what happened oh boy that, <laughs> listen the Basically first the one is as cool first... has great neat stuff in it the second one i do appreciate yeah, um sort of the vibe that like 90s vibe to it with yeah. like you said the influences and things like that um i think that i think that just in general the the time period for even you know Japanese culture as well as American culture was just very d- different, like almost like you know kind of punky and stuff like that, uh, which is is pretty cool. And then the third one, I was just completely done with this by that point. I didn't, I wasn't well, because they're in the all the same anymore. Um, I just don't think the concept lends itself to to go much further than it went in the first film. Yeah. Um, it's cool, like metal people and stuff like that, and it works best as a nightmare. Instead of like an action, you know, like a steampunky type movie, mm-hmm. and I think it works best in in the black and white in the original too, like monochrome. Sure, yeah, I think that that it reflects the metal kind of aesthetic that they were trying to get across. Yeah, and there's some great shot. The, the first one just feels so much more artistic, even mm-hmm. like the way f- shots are framed and and things like that. Um. Sure, because maybe the music. they. I mean, he clearly didn't have any constraint from a, 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 you know, backers and investors and studios and things like that. That I think he did with the second film when he was given, you know, a higher budget and it has to deal with all that stuff that goes into making a movie for somebody that's not yourself. So yeah, 
I don't I, know. I, I would have liked watching these had I seen, like, the first one and then, like, a couple months or a year later check out the second one. Like, space them apart more. Because I feel like when you watch movies like this back to back to back, because they're so similar and really don't well, they don't, much. Yeah, they don't have any continuity or anything. Yeah, but, but they also don't do much different. Like, they, yeah. don't, they, they don't really go and, you know, expand upon the world that much. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I didn't really care for the sequels too much. I gave the first film uh, an eight point five out of ten. Um, I do think that it's very good. Like it's fun, yeah. to, and because it's so short, it's it's a fun watch. And I think that I would actually like to own it. I know that Arrow put out the first two. I tried to buy it. It's not an. Sale. It's not Arrow didn't release it. They just had it on their website. Oh really? Who is it? Like, yeah. Shameless or something. I don't know. I wasn't shameless. I, it was just like a weird release that they had on their site. It was huh, like, I didn't know that. See, I went to buy it and yeah. it was out of stock when I went to buy it. So during their last yeah. sale. Uh, so I gave that one in 8.5. What did you give it? An eight. Okay. Um, and then the second one, uh, I gave a five out of 10. So I gave it a six and then I, I gave the third one a five. And then the third one I gave a four out of ten. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's below average because it's so similar to the other two that you can't knock it too much. Well, it's I just, just thought the third one. This is not effects as not as, mal- as, as, not as made as good. Yeah, I thought the effects were just weaker in the third, so I just was like, yeah, that's really what these movies are <laughs> kind of going for. Has going for them, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I think we covered a, a decent amount of stuff in in our mini shots episode here. Um, but next week, it, or I'm not sure what our recording schedule is going to be like, but we do have a Lost Highway review to do. So. Yeah, Mr. Lynch, his last film that he's directed, his last film. You know, you could say Twin Peaks, the new Twin Peaks series that he did for Showtime is what it is, but. His last feature film that he did, uh, Lost Highway, from the early 2000s. So, oh yeah, a long time ago. I've seen pretty much all of Lynch's stuff. He hasn't. He really hasn't made that many movies. I haven't seen any of his stuff. Really? Not even Eraserhead. I've only seen Twin Peaks. Never seen Eraserhead. Never seen Eraserhead. Man, somebody give JP that for Patreon. God damn it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll be back with Lost Highway, and maybe we'll talk about Glass, since it seems like we're both going to see it. So Yeah, I think so. Maybe we'll talk about our experience with Glass, and I'll be talking about a really shitty Scarecrow film. So, <laughs> if you even want to call it that. But, um, I appreciate everybody hopefully sticking with us with this, as, of course, we try to deal with moods not having to be able to time to do the show. And if we you know, do it more and more, we will get better at it. We don't record yeah. with just us two that often. We've only done it a handful of times. Our chemistry will get better. Hopefully we won't have to and Moods will be back, but just in case it does, we will get better and we'll uh improve with, you know, the the how we lay stuff out and things like that, but yeah, you guys get to hear me talk, aren't you glad? <laughs> you do you know, talk. I sit more. there, I sit there, Moods and JP always cut me off or they don't answer me. And I have lots of things to say. Well, not really. Just when I have to have things to say, I have to try to spew up some kind of bullshit that comes out of my mouth. But uh, it was fun. It's fun. I think we did a good job with what we what we had. I think that 
having to talk about the three films if Moods was here. You would get into fucking long-ass details that are fucking boring. But I think that we did pretty good. It was pretty fun. Yep. I agree. Am so, I going to do the outro? Yeah. Ooh, okay. Thank you, everybody, to listening to Episode 7, Volume 7. We're going to keep calling them Volumes. Volume 77. Uh, volume yeah, 7 of Mini Shots. If you want to follow the man Moods himself, you could do so at YouTube.com slash Moods616. And we're hoping Mr. Moods does us a favor and give us some publicity by posting this on his channel. Follow the man JP at YouTube.com slash shot J. And as always, you can follow me on my channel, YouTube.com slash NESRuler22. You can leave us any questions on the voicemail if you want to at 724-426-6665. But I can't promise we'll play them. And it's always- oh, oh, just to say something about that, there's one guy from Denmark who's left us about 15 freaking voicemails since we went away. I haven't listened to many of them, but um, we will get to those eventually. Don't just, you know, don't think we're ignoring you so you keep having to do it or anything. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we will get It'd to those It'd be funny eventually. if they're just all the same, like, I'm here. Yeah. Just want to know if you got my last message. <laughs> or you can just email us at the 22 shots of moods and horror at gmail.com. It's 22 shots of moods and horror at gmail.com. Please join us on the Facebook page, facebook.com. Search bar 22 shots of moods and horror podcast. And congrats to Dylan for winning $500 today from the Facebook, from the 22 shots of moods and horror football pool. Big man on campus with a shiny $500 bonus. Crazy. And please support the Patreon to get the sand sucked out of my vagina. Patreon.com slash 22 shots podcast. So that should be it. Everybody for, episode seven of mini shots me and the mexican himself will be back next week with the lost highway review and hopefully moods will be here too but that should do it thank you everybody i hope i wasn't horrible that should be all (laughs) bye-bye